mindfulness mode. Get to know yourself. Look in the mirror. Don't be afraid of it. Look in there and say, you know, I like that person in the mirror. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. And today we are going to get to the damn point. And we're going to get to the damn point because we've got the guy here to talk about that. And that's one of his, well, it's one of his topics. It's the name of his website, for instance. He teaches you how to say less and be heard more. He's a TEDx alumnus. He's a professional speaker. He's all about communication. He's also a mentalist and a magician. So we'll be talking about that. He has over 30 years of experience in television news, entertainment news, commercial advertising, independent film. Wow, this is going to be a really interesting conversation. I'm here today with Louis D. Cheney. Louis, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm in mindfulness mode every day. <laughs> That's good. So tell me, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me means being in the moment. You know, one of the things that I like, if I were to look at any kind of uh, spiritual stuff, would be more akin to Buddhism, which says, live for now. Yesterday is gone, tomorrow's not here. Focus on what you've got going on right now in the moment. And that's where I try to be, whether that's something I'm working on business-wise or if I'm doing it for leisure, hanging out with the family or whatever. I just try to be in the moment where I am. Well, that's really important for sure to try to be in the moment. And I try to do the same thing. So yeah, I guess we've got a lot in common right off the bat. So, and all as well, you're a mentalist and magician. How long have you been doing this kind of work? I've been doing it for over 20 years professionally. Wow. Wow. Do you do stage uh, kind of work, like stage hypnosis, that kind of thing? I can do hypnosis, but I do that more on a private thing, and I've done very little of it. Mine is much more up close and personal, what they call strolling magic or mentalism. I've got a couple of gigs I work each week at a couple of restaurants in the area. As a matter of fact, I'm working there tonight, and that's okay. primarily where I am. I'm Your, your table becomes my stage. <laughs> Okay. I bet you have a lot of fun with that. It is a lot of fun. It's a whole lot of fun. I get as much as I give. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do when you walk up to the table in the restaurant where maybe a family is dining? Sure. As a mentalist, I primarily work with grownups. I'm not the guy that does the kids show birthday parties, pulling a rabbit out of a hat while the adults go, that was cute. I do a lot of things. Cute's not really on the list. So the first thing I do is I engage the adults and I do a quick piece of mentalism with them because I want them to know I'm here to entertain you as much as I am your kids because let's face it, they're paying the bills, they're picking the location. But I walk up and I start a rapport with them and that instantly gets me in the door and lets me know, are they going to play with me or not? And I start getting a vibe for who's going to be the persons to play with. And then I just go into a lot of different magic and mentalism and I have a great time with them. I get a chance to lift them up and leave them with a smile and I walk away with one as well. That sounds like so much fun. It really yes. does. It well, really tell does. us about your TEDx experience. TEDx was really interesting. I mean, I've stood on some stages and I've done some speaking in front of audiences and things like that. But man, when you hit that red circle, you talk about an intimidation factor. That little piece of carpet you're standing on makes you go, okay, this is sort of real now. But for me, it was really awesome because I got an opportunity to really what became get to the damn point. It wasn't quite formulated yet. When I did that speech, part of it was there. So part of what I was headed toward came into that speech. And when I finished that, it was funny because I was a little bit nervous and I walked off the stage 
almost too fast. And my son was there with me, my youngest one. And he goes, Dad, if you'd have stayed around for this much longer, you'd have gotten a standing ovation. They were starting to come up. And I'm like going, ah, how did I miss that? Uh, but it was really awesome. It was a great experience to be able, in an honor, just really to be standing in that circle and telling people what I thought. And what year did you do this? And how have you used it to promote what you do? I did it in 2019. And what I use it for is I've got it out there to let people know, because I think TEDx legitimizes you as a speaker. People say, okay, you've done a TEDx. Then that means you've got some chops in there. And it also, again, by having what I have, some of my material that I use still is in that. So I think it gives them an opportunity to look and say, okay, is this guy somebody worth having? Is it somebody that I want to have? And gives them just a sample and a flavor of what I'm about. So what's the name of your TEDx talk? How do we find it on YouTube? You just look up Lewis D. Cheney TEDx and it's and the name of the speech was, let me think a second, because it's one of those things I've got morning brain going on. Yeah. You won't die from public speaking, but your deal might. Ah. Uh, so wow, that's that's great. It's it's remarkable how many people fear public speaking, isn't it? Like it's just such a huge fear in the world. What do you do to help people with that fear? The fear is one of those things I tell people. There's not a great deal that anyone can do for your fear. That's why they invented wine. <laughs> one of those things that if you practice it, that's the key thing. A lot of people go into things not prepared. Give you an example. I know of a business that's a multi-billion dollar business and they had a deal that was going on and they brought up somebody who had not been trained, someone who didn't know how to speak well. And that person got brought into the mix. And because of that, they lost a $10 million deal. And a lot of that has to do with not being trained, especially early on. It's mainly for the C-suite, but you need to bring it in sooner. Mm -hmm. And rehearsing what you're going to do, knowing what you're going to say, the winging it idea is bad. To give you an example of something there, there's an old adage, I think it's often given to Woodrow Wilson, that says, if you need me to speak, for 10 minutes, I need three weeks to prepare. 15 minutes, give me two weeks to prepare. If you need me to speak for half an hour, I need a week to prepare. But if you need me to speak for an hour, I'm ready to go right now because anybody can stand up there and BS for an hour. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting, isn't it? It is. That philosophy. That, that whole idea of the fear is just the more you do it and the more you're just like anything else in life. I mean, if you learn to ride a bicycle when you were a kid, you might have been fearful of when the training wheels came off. You've got to take the training wheels off and just keep doing it more to get better at it. Well, you've had 30 years experience of television news and doing all this kind of thing, going live, going live, going live. And how did you use mindfulness to do that? Did you did you take a little bit of time to focus before that that mic went live? Well, here's what's interesting. My career in television was mostly spent behind the camera, okay. but I did train everyone who was in front of the camera. We get new reporters. That was my job. And as far as the mindfulness goes, it's the same thing in giving a speech as it is going live or staying in the moment. Focus on one thing or focus on one person. In the particular case, when I was training reporters how to do a live shot, they're standing in front of a camera for the first time, knowing they've got thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of viewers out there, and they get really nervous. And I told them, it's really simple. Talk to me. Tell me what you've learned. Just look into the camera and pretend you're talking to me. And it's the same way, I think, for anything that you're doing. If you focus on one idea, what you've got going on, work the problem, then everything will sort itself out. Right. 
I think you're absolutely right. I totally agree. Tell me what came, what happened when you came to the point that you decided to call your business Get to the Damn Point? <laughs> it's really funny. A friend and I were talking about it when I decided to come up with a name for the business. And I said, I just want people to get to the damn point. She said, why not call it that? And it was like light bulb moment. It became a really good branding piece. But what really did it for me was I was watching an interview on television and there was a lady who was talking about her company and she was speaking on this interview for less than five minutes. In that period of time, she had a lot of what we call filler words or killer words. Uh, um, well, but like so things people do when they don't know what they want to say, it sort of comes out. Yeah. And as I listened to this, I'm like, I wonder just how bad this is. So I took out, I edited it. And I took out the person that she was talking to on the show. And then I cut it down to just her. Three minutes and 11 seconds she spoke. In that three minutes and 11 seconds, she had over 70 of these words. So I edited it again and took, took it down to just those words, which is on my website. And you should listen to it. It's annoying. I promise you, you won't get through 10 seconds. But it's 37 seconds of her going, uh, well, but so like, and um, well, uh, but so, and um, um, it's all strung together. And 37 seconds out of three minutes and 11 seconds doesn't seem like a lot, but you have to consider, had she been speaking for a half an hour, she'd have lost over six minutes of content just to those words alone. And this is the tip of the iceberg. So when I did that, I'm like, people need to get to the damn point. First of all, learn how to control that, but also boil down, get in, get done, get out. Don't make me stay for an hour. I just coached a lady the other day and she told me in a company she worked with, they told her when you do a meeting, fill the hour. What kind of advice is that? If I can get in and out in 10 minutes, why do I need to waste an hour there? It's terrible so advice. <laughs> yeah. And this is what got me going. I got going down into this road and I'm like, you know, there's a lot to be said for getting in and getting out. And a lot of people just don't in presentations and meeting and sales pitches on the phone, customer service, whatever it may be. So that's what led me to saying, hey, let's just call it get to the damn point. I think it's a great name. And at first I was kind of like, well, what's this about? But but really, I have the same philosophy. I don't want to sit and listen to someone who does not get to the point because sometimes they never do. Or you're sitting there trying to decipher what is their point. And I ha have to admit, I've listened to myself many times because I edit a lot of my own episodes. And I don't want to listen to myself saying, um, ah. Uh, 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 you know, stuttering. I don't want to hear that either. The funny thing is one of the first things I teach people is how to break it. And it's so incredibly simple. And when I tell them this, every time I talk to people, first of all, I get, get to the damn point played back to me. Well, Lewis, I guess I need to get to the damn point, which is really funny. But also when I tell them about the ahs and the ums and the fill words, as we're having a conversation, they start to hear themselves. And that's the first key is hearing yourself and they'll catch themselves and go, well, Lewis, I said it again. But real quickly, the way to do it is stop, drop, and pause. When you know that word's coming, you've lost your train of thought for a second, just stop. Drop that fill word, don't say it, and pause. Pausing does two things, allows you to get back to where you're going, allows your audience to catch up to where you've been, and gives you that breather. And guess what? You take a moment of silence, nobody's going to die. <laughs> it's a lot better if you just take that breather. And that's the simple fix to it. Not only is no one going to die, but those pauses are important. Silence is just as important in music and in speech sometimes as the sound is. Would you agree? Oh, think about it this way. If you'd had 
Do the whole movie would have sucked. But John Williams knew there have to be moments in there where things are silent. When the shark is around, there were moments when there's silence in there. So learning exactly where to put that silence is is important, if not more important, than where to put the words or the music. Yeah, I so agree. In your bio, you say you help you've worked with everyone from celebrities to the homeless. So tell us about some examples of some homeless people that you've worked with. This is really fascinating to me. I have done a lot of stories over the course of the years on the homeless situation, particularly in our area. And, you know, I've done the dinners they have for people where they deliver the meals to the shut-ins. I've done where they've gone to under the bridges to find people to come in to go to their Thanksgiving dinners or to feed them or clothe them or put them wherever they can. And for me, homelessness is, is people think of it as okay the homeless people are the people who are all alcoholics or they've all got an issue and while there may be a few like that in this day and age it doesn't take much to lose one job and a two-family income and the next thing you know you're homeless so homeless covers such a wide variety of people and i like that we could do stories to take the stigma off of that and also point out there's a problem so that people could come in and get help when i worked in news that was the key thing for me so doing something with the homeless and letting people know these are people who are down in their luck and you're that far from being them and i think making that human connection is what then makes people come out and actually do something to help wow yeah i agree i think i think if you can help some homeless people that's that's a wonderful thing to be able to do or anybody that's going through a, a very unfortunate stage of life because a lot of people are and it's great to have empathy and to have understanding and compassion for those people because it helps us have compassion for ourselves. You know, it's not just the people who are homeless either. When it goes to the magic stuff, one of the things that I do is I like to elevate. I don't just like the ta-da moments. Those are fun and they're great. But when I work a lot, particularly with the adults, I've got a few things that I do at the tables and in my shows that are meant to lift people up. I leave them with something they can feel. I leave them with something to feel good about themselves and something they can hang on to tangibly. Like there's a couple of things I do where I leave something in their hand, whether it's a business card or a card that they can go back to and touch it. And it will bring them back to that moment where they felt good. So if they're having a moment that's really bad, all they have to do is touch this reread what it says and the way they felt will come back and push away their troubles for a little bit. And it's one of those things that when I discovered that and started doing it, it really got such great response. And I've had so many come back to me and go, man, thank you for this. Thank you for this. So it's not just having empathy and sympathy for people who are in dire situations, but it goes back to that whole thing. If you don't know what's going on in anybody's life at any given time. So pay somebody a compliment. I like your hair today. You you have a beautiful smile. Little things like that could make the difference. And I'll share one last thing on that. I saw something a guy was giving out, I think it was on Goldcast the other day. And he was talking about this. And I looked it up and it's a true story about a man that committed suicide jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. And as this forensics guy was going through his house, he found a note. The note said, I'm going to go do this. But if I'm going there and one person talks to me, I'll come home. And not one person did. So you never know who you're passing, who that the person that's waiting at your table could be somebody who's going through a very, very big struggle, who may be considering going home that night and ending it all. And a simple 
your hair looks great today. I like the way you do this. You're, you're wonderful. I really like your personality. Could literally save lives. What a great story. Yeah, it yeah, literally save lives when you think about it that way. Absolutely right. Wow, that is powerful. Well, tell us about some celebrities you've worked with. The pinnacle of my career, I've worked with a lot of them. I spent two years working in Nashville. So I worked with in between 1998 and 2000, just about anybody on the country music scene I worked with. And again, I was a shooter at the time working on some national television shows down there for at the time, TNN. We were working with a lot of shows that we did nationally. But the biggest pinnacle I had was I got to spend eight days in Belfast, Northern Ireland with Garth Brooks. And wow. while we were there, the people who worked with him, his managers and publicists came to me and they said, Garth wants you to shoot the remaining four shows out of five that he is doing, but he wants them to shoot him for him personally. So I spent four nights doing two, two and a half hours on stage with him. This was not a big production. This is not a big crew. It was me and my sound guy. I had my camera, my video camera, and I spent four nights chasing Garth around on stage in front of thousands of people in Belfast, Northern Ireland in 1998 at the end of his world tour. Nothing will ever top that. Nothing I do will probably ever top that. <laughs> Sounds amazing. What did you get to know about Garth that most people wouldn't know? He's an incredibly humble man. It was funny. At one point, I'd had this box set that he'd come out with, and you know, I knew there was an opportunity to be around him in Nashville and stuff, but I knew I was going to be around him a long time in Ireland. So I packed it, and I brought it to him there, and I had a couple of newspapers I wanted him to sign for some family. And I walked up to him and I said, hey, Garth. He goes, yeah, boss. Just I'm like, that's kind of unusual. I said, would you mind signing a couple of things for me? He goes, sure, no problem. And when he pulled up the thing that I had, he goes, you brought this all the way from home to have me sign it here? He was just blown away. Then like, why don't you just have me sign it when we're in Nashville doing something sometime? But the opportunity was just had to present itself, right? But he's one of the kindest most humble people on the planet. He really is. He's a super, super nice guy. Wow. That's, that's really fascinating. I always ask a question about bullying on my show. So I want to ask that to you now, Lewis, I've worked in this field of bullying prevention for a long time. And, and I found that a lot of times bullying and, and mindfulness are connected. If you can understand mindfulness, you probably will not suffer from being bullied to the same extent. Do you have any stories about bullying that you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? I think the one where mindfulness would have made a difference, going back into my childhood, it might have been something then to have learned to see how I could have coped with it. I would have loved to have had you around when I was in junior high, put it that way. Junior high and into high school, I was bullied a lot. I was, you know, like this kid that was a skinny kid, weighed 140 pounds, dripping wet, and I got picked on. I got picked on and bullied a lot. One of the stories that I tell people was, uh, and this is a really embarrassing story, and it's something I've just only recently started to share because getting past the pain of it, but I hope it helps other people. I had a, a bigger kid. I was like a freshman or maybe eighth grade, something like that, and I had this kid who was a few years ahead of me, big guy pick me up and hang me on the wall on the coat hangers by my belt loops on the hallway. And I couldn't get out. You know, I, I'm, I'm stuck. And I, to this day, I can hear the laughter of the kids and it's very, very painful. You know, in that situation, there's not much you can do, but then you flash forward. And I had a boss who was really, really the first boss I had in television news. He was just 
Um, not a not a nice guy. The kind who would set you down and stand over the desk and lean over you and talk down to you and you know be really stern. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't know what to do with that. But in the mindfulness now that I have, one of two things would happen for me. I would either stand up and say, "When you set, I'll set," you know, or I'd leave. When you decide to calm down, I'll come talk to you, because I that's just something I can't abide by anymore. And I think if I'd have had more awareness about me if i'd had a little more confidence about myself because it's funny that stuff sticks you know people don't think it does you're bullied in school it leads you in your life and when you meet a bully you still kind of even as an adult you still sort of cower back yeah and it's knowing you know what this is a job and if it's a job and i'm going to have to be treated this way i don't need to be here I can find another job. I can step away. I don't have to do this. In this day and age now, you've got so many other things you could do, like go to HR and all of that, that I didn't really think about back then and probably wouldn't have been as effective as it is now. So I think just that, knowing where I am and where I've come from and who I am and how confident I can be is going to keep me from being bullied. That and I'm not 140 pounds anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you're right. I think that's a great insight into mindfulness and how to prevent being bullied. I was just going to ask you, uh, what do you enjoy doing in your life that involves moving and activity and that kind of thing? Mainly just doing stuff with my family, whatever that may be. I mean, one of the things that my wife and I have really done a lot this summer is we've gotten an, an above ground pool. Okay. And that's been kind of our go-to is like, we're, we got it late in the summer. So we're going, we're going to use this every chance we get. Every time I turn around, my wife's could look, it's cloudy outside. It's only 70. The water's kind of chilly, but I'm getting in the pool because we have it. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So just getting out and doing things with my family, with my friends, whenever we can go and do, that's what I enjoy. And tell me about your family. How many children do you have? I have two, two children. I have a son who's 26 and a son who's 22. My 26-year-old son is married, and I have a beautiful five-year-old little redhead granddaughter. Wow. Who I, right here, dude. <laughs> right here. Yeah. I knew when she came along, she would be. I've got this 1976 Starsky and Hutch car, okay, the red and white car. And I've always laughed, and I said, someday she may walk in here and look at me and say, Papa Lou, I just set the car on fire. And I'm going to look at her and say, stay right there, young lady. I will grab the marshmallows. <laughs> that is what's going to happen. I just know it. So, yeah, I've got a, I've got a really good family. My wife and I've been together for 28 years and I've got two great kids and got a granddaughter. So, man, life's good. Yeah, I was just going to say, it sounds like you're living a pretty happy life, a pretty mindful life. And that's the thing, you know, you talk about mindfulness and a friend and I were just talking the other day and she was having some struggles. She's going through a lot of stress in her life. She's got a lot going on, constantly busy. And she found herself getting angry and she goes, okay. She had this really bad experience where there was a, uh, her son missed the bus because the bus driver came early and she became livid at the bus driver. And she even wrote me and she said, I know it's not the bus. It's something else. I have to find out what it is that triggered me to do that which is again, going into mindfulness. You've got to find what's your cause, what happened here. And she turned to gratefulness. And gratefulness is a great calming tool. When things aren't going the way you want, maybe things aren't going well in your work, maybe things aren't going well in some personal things you've got going on. Think about what you do have 
and be grateful for what you do have. You know, I think about, I've got my family, I've got my kids, I have a roof over my head, I have food in my belly. I'm in a place where it's warm when it's cold and cold when it's warm. There's things to be grateful for you can find all around you. And if you latch onto those, it calms you and finds you centered again. So all the other outside stuff doesn't bother you as much. Wow, good advice. Very interesting. As we move forward in the interview, I want to ask you, Lewis, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this, who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? You know, I thought about that and Matthew McConaughey, of all people, Matthew McConaughey, I stumbled onto the Ogmandino book, you know, that he had written about the greatest salesman in the world because it was mentioned by McConaughey went through that. And then when McConaughey came out with green lights, I read it. And even though it's about him and what he's gone through, what he's done and the way he approaches life, it gives you some insight. And like he said, it's not a book that he's trying to tell you how to do things, but you can take things away from it to go, okay, you do have some control and then let go where you don't have control basically and find those green lights. Very interesting. And tell us this, how has mindfulness affected how you deal with your emotions? You know, it's interesting. (laughs) I deal with my emotions. This is something I've got right here, this little tiny book. When I just last Monday, I had an incredibly bad day. I have those days where the world is going to roll me, where I feel like nothing's going right, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Rather than turn to a book, I sit down and I write. And I'll just fill these pages with, and I can write really big. I can write angry. That's better than typing because I can do what I want to. And I can really get my emotions out, write softly if I'm upset. And I get it all out and it gets it out of my system. It's a purging. And then what I do is I tear the pages out and I burn them because it's not for anybody else. It's Mm. me getting rid of it. Ah, That's a really good strategy. I like that. My third question is about breathing. Do you have any special breathing techniques or any thoughts on breathing that may be related to mindfulness? I don't really do so much breathing techniques, but I will tell you something I do to relax is I lay back because sometimes it's a creative, just thinking, just sitting down and being alone with your thoughts matters. And what I do is I'll lay back and I'll take a towel and put it over my eyes like a blindfold. So I shut out all the light. So I can just be alone with my thoughts or I'll use music to go along with that. So I can just sort of ease myself in. So I think more than I concentrate on what's going on up here, not so much on the breathing, but just on getting calm and focused. Mm -hmm. Very good. Can you recommend a book that's related to mindfulness in some way? I'll go back to green lights. I just really think it's not so much a book that's a how-to book and that's what I like about it. It's just you're looking at what somebody who you see in the public eye and what they've gone through, their experiences, their wins and their losses and their failures and their getting back up again and how they deal with that. And you go, okay, it's those me too moments where you're like, I can do this. This is something I can find my green lights. I can find myself. I can find my inner peace. And I think that book really has a lot more to it than people give it credit for. Well, I'll check it out. I've not read it and I will put it in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. You can see all this information there. And uh, my last question is about apps. Are there any apps of any description that you use or recommend that are related to mindfulness? When I need to really get focused on something, particularly if I'm trying to sleep, but whenever I'm just trying to get my mind just to not think, there's a couple of things that I do. One is I just sit there. It's a military trick that I read about 
you just say over and over in your head, don't think, don't think, don't think, don't think, and push away all the other thoughts. And it's weird how that works, but you'll eventually, it can even make you go to sleep. But I don't go to apps as much as I go to YouTube. And I like to find these things where you're flying through space mm -hmm. and through the cosmos and stuff, and maybe there's some music to go with it. And I find that incredibly, incredibly relaxing and a way for me just to get everything pushed away and just drift in there and let, at that point, whatever thoughts come through, come through, that I need to work out whatever problem I'm working on. That's really interesting. So do you just type in something like flying through space? I do. I look up that or like, you know, the, the hypnosis things or sleep tools, visual sleep aids, where there's a repetitive image, like you're flying through a tunnel or something. And it's just, it's incredibly relaxing. It, it really, really just gets you in a Zen mode, man. It really can. Wow. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. I will have to check out some of those, those uh, videos. I haven't really seen those, but uh, yeah, it's great talking to you. And as we wrap it up, I want to ask you if, if you have any final words of advice for anybody that might be listening today thinking, geez, I'd like to be as grounded as Lewis is. <laughs> well, first of all, Lewis is grounded sometimes and there's something I'm not, but the best thing I can tell you to do is just get to know yourself. Look in the mirror. Don't be afraid of it. Look in there and say, you know, I like that person in the mirror. And don't let that mirror con you out of your confidence. Don't let what you think about yourself beat you up. Use paper. Write things out. If you have to scream, scream on paper. 600 exclamation points if you need to. And talk to yourself. And be kind when you talk to yourself. There's a thing that Bruce Lee said a long time ago that said, when you talk to yourself, don't use negative talk because your body doesn't know the difference. And if you say it, it hears it and it reacts to it. So it doesn't know that you're just joking, even if you say something, you know, self-deprecating about yourself. So be mindful of that. Talk to yourself and just get to know and love you. That's just, it sounds like a strange thing, but it's just all I can tell you to do. Get to know you and be confident in who you are. Great advice. It really is good advice, Lewis. And I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate you being on the show today. So thanks so much for being here. I thank you so much for having me. It's something that I didn't realize when I was going to be getting on here, how much mindfulness I really had. I'm like, do I really have mindfulness? And I do. It's one of those things that you don't stop and think about. And I love what you're doing because you're making people realize you do need to be mindful and how you can be mindful. And I really appreciate that and what you do. Thank you so much, Lewis. Great to meet you. Bye now. Great to meet you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for listening to the show today. I want to thank Grammarly. Grammarly is one of my sponsors, and they really help me by quickly pointing out spelling or grammatical errors in all of my writing. And I find I can write faster and more accurately using this great app. You can get started using Grammarly for free. It works on your desktop applications. It works on sites across the web. It can work on apps, social media, documents, messages, emails. Emails. Use my affiliate link to get going right away. This will benefit me and you. So just go to mindfulnessmode.com slash Grammarly. And that's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y. And with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.